0: Due to the graphic nature and content of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Victimology. I'm your host, Melissa Lee, and thanks for joining me. Well, let me first start off by saying welcome to the first episode ever of Victimology. So yeah, this is super exciting for me. I have always dreamt of having a true crime podcast. As I've said in multiple, multiple episodes of Mysteriously Morbid, I am obsessed with true crime. And as I've said in the introduction of Victimology, I am currently a student starting in the fall studying behavioral science um, with an emphasis in criminal psychology. I am just so excited to start this journey, and I'm so excited, too, to have a podcast that corresponds with what I'm learning. I'm going to try to use this podcast to teach some of the things that I learn as far as criminal behavior goes. So yeah, I'm, like I said, very excited But that's enough about me. Let's move on. So if you have followed Mysteriously Morbid at all, or if this is your first time checking out one of my podcasts, I strongly suggest you check out the Lewis Clark Valley Serial Killer Part 1 first before listening to this next episode because it is quite a doozy. You don't have to know necessarily what's going on, but it's nice to know the background of the case listening to this next episode. So, without further ado, I give you The Lewis and Clark Valley Serial Killer, Part Two. I want to first start off by quickly correcting myself. In the original episode, the first part of The Lewis and Clark Valley Serial Killer, I said Kristen Davis. Her name is actually Kristen David. I'm very sorry to the family. I did not mean to mispronounce the name. I just wanted to go ahead and clarify that in case anyone wanted to do some research on the case. So it's Kristen David. And now that that's cleared up, let's go ahead and move on to the special guest. My special guest this evening has been featured in three separate documentary series, including Confluence, an episode of Dark Minds, and most recently, a special on investigation discovery called Cold Valley. And that's actually how I found out about this special guest. She does have a familial connection to one of these cases. However, that did not stop her from becoming an advocate for every single one of these victims. She has been digging and researching since the 1990s, and I cannot wait to share the information that she has given me with all of you. So without further ado, this is my interview with Gloria Roberts. All right. Hi, Gloria. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, you're welcome. I'm glad to be on your show. So Gloria, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, about what, how you're connected to the these cases?
1: My cousin, Christina Nelson, was a victim of the Lewis Clark Valley serial killer, along with her stepsister, Brandy Miller. I'm not related by blood to Brandy Miller, however, um, I consider her family. What sparked
0: the ultimate interest in trying to find out what happened to your cousin?
1: I think because we were really close in age. Christina was 21 years old when she was murdered. And it took me back. And, you know, it's how could somebody like her be killed? I, I can't explain it, but the need to know what happened that, that really was there and so my grandmother and her grandmother were sisters and they would correspond through snail mail and her sister my grandmother's sister which would have been christina's grandma would send her uh, newspaper articles about the case whatever she could find which was usually in the idaho statesman they would talk and it became like a a big secret you know just the elephant in the room Later on in the mid 90s, when the Internet became available, I started doing my own searching. And of course, that was limited because the Internet was was new or at least things that you could, you know, you could access and, and such as that. And so I found just a few things and I really dove into it probably around 2003, 2005. And there was more on the internet at that time. And that's when groups and and websites were being put up about, about such things. And then when I found out the sub, the suspect's name, that helped my research a whole lot.
0: Now, I just want to go ahead and clarify for our listeners tonight that we will not be mentioning the suspect's name. We will be referring to him as the person of interest. Okay. And, um, you know, obviously, people can do their own research. It's literally as simple as typing the Lewiston Clark Valley serial killer into Google, and you can find out all that information on your own. So we we encourage people to do that if you are definitely interested in this case because
1: it yeah, certainly it, has
0: a few rabbit holes. If
1: I'm yeah, not mistaken, I, have, I run the Lewis Clark Valley serial killer Facebook page, and. That is the most I feel accurate because it is I am in touch with law enforcement as far as like if I receive information, I hand it over to them. Everything that is posted on that Facebook page, I have triple researched. I make sure that it is correct information because I feel that when you're dealing with a cold case to have correct information out there or for any case for that matter, it is so so important.
0: Right. Of course. Of course. And so you had mentioned you run the Facebook page. Um, and you've been pretty active online with these cases, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Cold cases, you really have to keep them out there, keep them in the public's eye. That way you're you're getting tips. Law enforcement doesn't for, you know, not that they do forget, but it's still there. You know, it's right there. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm posting things all the time on there as I find them, or if I'm, you know, looking for information, I will put it out there as to what I'm looking for. Um, and again, it's all confidential. I can be contacted through the Facebook page um, privately. I do not put anything out that um, where I get my information, anything people do though. I tell them I will give this to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Now, if you could sum these cases up in just a short phrase of how they connect, what, what would you have to say? Like if you could just give a quick synopsis of everything.
1: The common denominator in these cases is the person of interest and, and them knowing him. That's the common link. That's the, that's the factor. They all had a similar look. They all were involved um, in basically the same thing. And when you're a predator, that's the perfect setting. So
0: let's go ahead and move into the actual cases. I know I had mentioned in part one, you know, I just kind of did a brief overview of each of the cases and I did not reveal how the person of interest was related to each of these cases. So Gloria, let's go ahead and start, I guess, at the beginning of the case, which is Christina
1: White, right? Well, actually, Melissa, it goes back a little further than Christina White. It goes back to 1963 with the case of Diane Taylor in Austin Heights, Chicago, Illinois. Really? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, On August 1st, 1963, Eight-year-old Diane Taylor disappeared from her summer camp day school, uh, which was at the YMCA in Chicago, Illinois. On August 3rd, 1963, her body was found in an alley. She had been beaten, stabbed, and slashed. Oh, my God. And how old was she? She was eight years old. Her (gasps) birthday, she was ready to turn nine in a couple of days. Within like a week, it was going to be her birthday. The person of interest in our cases, lived within a couple of miles of Diane's apartment building. And he went to high school within a block of where Diane lived. And he also had connections to the YMCA. And at the time, um, Chicago interviewed 14,000 people. And our person of interest was one of those that was interviewed. And because of the time during that era, 1963, um, it probably was really hard for somebody to wrap their head around the fact that, you know, this is a 15-year-old boy. So, you know, he's kind of put aside. He was about 15 and a half when this happened. He was actually interviewed. Yes, About along, the case. With 14, along with 14 other 14,000 other people. You know, he was seen uh, in the area of the YMCA by two kids that went to the YMCA. So there's, you know, some documentation there. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, this is probably his first victim. So we're looking at 54 years of of him being active, if not more.
0: Wow. So it's very, very likely that this could have been his first his yes. first victim, his first yes. kill. Wow. Yes.
1: Yes. Wow. And it is not a case that is well known. And back in the day when when reporters would write about these cases, they, you know, they were there. They it was as good, almost as good, if not better, than than getting a police report. When I was reading the newspaper articles, it went so far to say that Diane's body was, was, you know, her hair was wet due to it raining um, the night before. So they're, you know, very, very detailed news articles. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. If you look at that being his first victim, then he kind of sets the the groundwork what his MO could be. And it's a little bit different than the cases in the Lewiston area. However, we've got two missing people there that we don't know their cause of death. So we don't know if he varied from... Right, right. Yeah, how they died. What was the cause of death?
0: Diane Taylor was very possibly his first victim.
1: Yes. You talked about this on Cold Valley, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I actually went to Chicago. I, I went to where her body was found. And... After seeing it in the newspaper articles and then going to where this little girl's body was found, it was totally surreal. So Chicago has reopened the case. Um, I'm not family, so I am not privileged to know the information or what's being done with these cases. But I do know that Chicago is going to be diligent and go as far as they can with it to Mm -hmm. find answers. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. After Diane Taylor was murdered in 63, the first part of of 1965, our person of interest went into the Navy, and he was on the USS Vesuvius AE-15, and he did a three-year tour with the Navy overseas, and then he was discharged in 1968, and there are cases that Date back to 1969 that I'm I can put him in the area. Mm-hmm. Do I? I think he should be looked at for those cases. Um, um, a couple of them in 1972, there was the there was a a young woman by the name of Antoinette Anino. She was 17 years old, and this was June 2nd. She had a little argument with her boyfriend. She walked away from him. And they were at the wharf in Santa Cruz. And she was reported missing around midnight on that night. Now, the next day, the 3rd, uh, June 3rd, 1972, her body was found on the beach at the Santa Cruz boardwalk near there. Mm -hmm. And it was said that it was a drowning and it was considered accidental or suicidal. You know, there's not many women that would walk into the surf naked.
0: Wait, she was naked. She was naked. And she was how old? 17. Okay. I can honestly say no, like knowing teenagers. mm -hmm. So wait, you're saying she stripped down and then apparently killed herself in the water naked. Correct. That just seems so out of place for a teenager.
1: Yes. I work in the mental health field. So for somebody to commit suicide by drowning, it's not common. And your body fights to survive. So you would probably have to weight yourself down. But if you take into consideration, this is a 17-year-old girl, women, girls, teenagers, you don't want to be found naked. That is just so odd. It's out of, mm-hmm. it's out of character. June 5th, 1972, the person of interest was arrested in San Jose for trying to break into the Willow Glen mortuary and that is where the body of Antoinette Anino was laying in state wait wait that
0: wait, the person of interest was found breaking into this mortuary
1: yes he was this is correct did he know antoinette apparently what he told the owner of the mortuary was that he wanted to spend the night with his girlfriend one last time. He wanted to see his girlfriend one last time. Wait a and second. Th- and Wait. that is... That is <laughs> oh, in, my God! That is oh in the, God. the documentary Cold Valley. Oh, my God. But
0: her boyfriend reported her missing that night, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. yes. Oh, my God. So... So, so he was he was brought in, I'm assuming.
1: Yes. Okay. He was, he was. He was charged. He was charged with uh breaking and entering, uh trespassing, I believe.
0: Did he and have anything I, on him breaking into
1: place? He did. He did. He was carrying a 10 to 12 inch hunting knife, a flashlight, and a camera, of one of those Polaroid cameras. So it would be safe to assume, and again, this is my assumption, but I'm pretty confident in saying that, that he is a necrophiliac. Well, I'm
0: going to go ahead and say most sane people don't break in to funeral homes. To spend. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. The, the oh, last my God. Yeah.
1: It's to- damning. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, you can't make can't, that up. But there would be no reason for him to lie about such a thing. There would be no reason for him right. to take this up. You can't make this crap. No, up. no,
0: no, 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 no. And I'm like, I, like I said, I'm going to go ahead and say most sane people would never ever think to break into a funeral home. To no. see, and it's like, they would not put that. Oh, I wanted to, see, you know, spend the night with my girlfriend one last time. That
1: is terrifying. Well, and what do you do? You know, it's why the knife, Right. Why, can't, why the camera? What right. are you doing? Why are you doing it? You know, and, and because we are sane people, it's hard for us to go into those shoes and right. try to figure that out. Right. Wow.
0: And that happened in 1972?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. In June of 1972. And what town was this in? It was in Santa Cruz, but her her body was at the Willow Glen Mortuary, which is in San Jose.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. I'm like speechless after that one. Yeah. That one's crazy. Wow. Okay. So 1972
1: happens and then who's, who's next after okay. that? Okay, Then we can go to Christina White because he has now moved from the Bay area. He is now in the Lewiston Clarkson area. He's living in, in Clarkson, Washington, which is right across the river from Lewiston, Idaho. Okay. When okay. You just cross the Snake River and you're in another state. Christina White, she was 12 years old and she disappeared on April 28, 1979. And this is when the Assotin County Fair was going on. It was fair time. She was seen at the person of interest um, his girlfriend's house and his girlfriend had children. And one of those, the kids was Christina's best friend. Christina had gone to the parade and then they had lunch and she had gone to her friend's house then to, to help her get her horse ready for the fair. The person of interest, um, spent a lot of time there, even though he had another house there and this house was in a Soton. Okay. Okay. So, um, The last time she was heard from was around two o'clock. And her mother, um, she called her mom, said she was feeling sick from the heat. She was prone to uh, heat stroke. Mm -hmm. So her mom, Betty, um, told her, go get a cold washcloth, rest in the shade. So And she would come in and meet her. So she went to meet her and she wasn't there. There was a search done. Mm-hmm. One of the people that volunteered for this search and was one of the first people to volunteer for the search was the person of interest.
0: And so he he interjected himself. He did. He entered the search.
1: Yes, he did. Wow. He wanted to know where where they were searching. He spoke to Christina's uh, mother, Betty. She said, um, as in the in the documentary Confluence, she said she'd never forget it. Um, he was like in her face, um he had a towel wrapped around his neck. Mm-hmm. he was just he was like right there so um, after Christina white went missing, and her bike was never found either, oh Scor- right, right, so she rode her. the bike to the friend's house, right. They never okay. found her bicycle, and it was like um either it was like the the year probably within nine months, we'll say, um, there was some schoolwork found, some papers found at the corral where her friend kept her horse. Really? Yeah. Oh. And the, school, the schoolwork papers, they were in like pristine condition. So they were new. They hadn't been out there. They had not been, no. No, they had not. They had been kept somewhere. Otherwise, you know, it would have been, out in the elements and not looked like mm-hmm. you know it right it's just homework right. that had just been done wow
0: I guess the question is you know let's say this person of interest obviously is responsible for her disappearance mm-hmm. did he have the means of hiding her bicycle and Christina did he
1: did he have a place he could have yes he did Yes, he did. Oh. He owned his own home, which was Christina White went missing from a house on Second Street in He owned a home on Third Street. It was just right. It was just a matter of blocks to get to his house that he owned. And at the time, um, he wasn't really living there. He was living with his girlfriend, pretty much on Second Street. Hmm. Wow. So, yes, he would have had uh, a place to put her, put her bicycle until he decided where to actually dispose of the body and the bicycle. And she would have known him pretty well, right? Mm hmm. Yes. She, so would, she have would have him. felt
0: comfortable with him.
1: Right. Well, yeah. you know, it's like any kid, you, you know, you you don't have a distrust of adults that you know. I mean, this was right. her best friend's mom's boyfriend. You know, mm-hmm. it's an adult. He seems to be, you know, okay. And, you know, there was no reason given not to trust him. So I would say if he offered her a ride home, she would have been okay with it. She mm-hmm. would have been afraid. Right. And, that, and of course, that turned out to be a fatal move. Right.
0: Now, another thing. So when she went over to her friend's house she had requested like a towel, right? Or like a cool towel or something. Right. And then he was seen with a towel around his neck Correct. when talking to,
1: huh. huh? Yeah, that is in the documentary um, Confluence. Yes. And I, yeah. did, I did talk to uh, Betty, Christina White's mom, and it just, to hear her say it chilled me. You know, yeah. she she's a mom. She knows. Right. Right. They, there's like a
0: motherly intuition. There. Right. Yes. Wow. Wow. So nothing has ever been found, though, with Christina White otherwise.
1: Other than the school papers that were found in the um, corral. No. Mm.
0: And then had anything else been going on in the person of interest life at this point or not really?
1: Nothing. Wow. If, you're, if you're asking if it was, there was a trigger. Mm-hmm. No.
0: Um, gotcha.
1: Okay. It could have been though, because all of his victims that we know of, or we've seen that fit his MO seem to be small women. Um, mm-hmm. So that could have, you know, again, it's hard to slip your into the shoes of somebody that is, demented that way that doesn't have normal thoughts that is a sociopath
0: right so it wasn't necessarily like a planned thing you think that it could have just been like spur of the moment like he saw an opportunity and jumped on it that kind of concept okay yes okay
1: so perhaps he had been watching her and just was waiting for the right moment and that just happened to be the right moment he is a predator mm -hmm. oh that's that's nuts oh my goodness And she was a child
0: on top of it. And obviously, he's already connected to one child, Mm -hmm. Diane Taylor. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he has no issue. Oh, you know, speaking of children, isn't there another case concerning a child that he was possibly connected with?
1: There was another case where there was a child involved and he was looked at um, later on, um, probably well actually just a few years ago and that was Daryl Lynn Johnson and she went um missing from Melba Idaho well Nampa Idaho and she was found in Melba and found not far away from where he used to own a piece of property and she looked uh, a lot like Christina White they I- they could have been related they looked so much alike. I know I saw the the picture in Cold Valley. It, it was striking how similar they were. hmm hmm And that was in, yeah, she went missing in 1982, February 24th, um, 1982. And then she was found in um, Melba, Idaho. Mm-hmm. And of course, I went to where they found her body and that was, you would have to know the area again and there was a man that sat on death row for her murder he was exonerated because they found they had dna and it wasn't his so where they're going with that case i'm really not sure and just so, so people know when you're doing dna or you're you know you're putting stuff into the system or you're getting testing done it is nothing like it is on tv nothing this can take up to a year you know it just depends on how backlogged the labs are to do the test and what kind of testing you're going to have done so it's not like an instant gratification you know uh, sort of thing so you know there's that one could you know, the, I think they're doing more testing on it, um, but again, you know, we're waiting to get the results.
0: So at this point, it's considered, I, I guess, cold
1: because it's cold, she, her yeah, case, yeah, her, yes.
0: So then that was 1982.
1: Yes. Okay. She, yeah, she went okay. missing in February of 1982, and the person of interest um, had a friend that lived in that area um not only did the suspect or the person interest, whatever you want to however you want to call him I'm, I'm trying not to say his name i mm-hmm. throw him under the bus every chance i get he had a, a childhood friend that lived in the area so he would go back and forth from the from clarkston up to nampa idaho in mm-hmm. that area okay. yeah and he did that well, up until the time he moved um, back east. Wow! So, speaking
0: of him traveling, let's let's move on to uh, to Kristen, which happened in 1981, if I'm
1: not mistaken. Yes, 1981. Okay. Uh, she went. Um, she went missing June 26, 1981. So and we're close she, to the anniversary. Yes, when they we just passed the, it. Mm-hmm. when they found her body.
0: So so what's the, the basics around the Kristen David
1: case? The, okay, she, 22 years old, very tiny. She's probably one of the smallest of the victims, or I should say her and Brandy Miller are about the same height. And she worked in Moscow, Idaho. She had an apartment up there. She worked at a bar called The Scorpion, And she also went to school up there and she worked at a pea processing plant. She did. She also had an apartment in Lewiston on June 26, 1981, which was a Friday. She was went traveling on her bicycle down the grade, as they call it, heading back into Lewiston. And she was going to meet up with her sister and she never made it. Now, he had delivery routes and there is a possibility that he met her he was working for the Frito-Lay company doing deliveries so he could have met her that way because of where she worked um, she also had ties to the Lewis Civic Theater she did plays there and she was also into political science and he was politically active so we, we've got some possible ties there that he could have that gotcha. he could have, met her gotcha. now there there was supposedly a brown van involved and you know that has never there was somebody that saw that 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 they did that under the um they were hypnotized mm, to get the okay. situation to come out i'm not saying there was i'm not saying there wasn't but it seems to have like kind of muddied the waters a little bit we don't know for sure if there really was. And I know that a gentleman in Cold Valley said that he had seen her be who he thought was her injured on the road. And um, um, OK, yeah. So, again, you know, we don't know for sure. So her bicycle has never been found either. Oh, huh. And she was found on July 4th in garbage bags wrapped in newspaper in the snake river
0: oh my god so she was she was found in pieces
1: yes she was dismembered which takes that's a whole new level you know yeah that's that's just you have you have to have the means you have to have the, the place to do it. It's not exactly a tidy thing to, you know, and the mindset to do that again, it's hard to imagine, you know, dismembering somebody there was, and I, I feel I should interject that in here. There are other serial killers that were in the area at the time. And Harry Hampton was one of them. So we, you know, you can't say that you, you look at just one person and say, oh, yes, he did this. Mm-hmm. You have to look at, at all of them that were in the area at the time and take right. into consideration, you know, were they, you know, is this their M.O.? Were right. they incarcerated at this time? Blah, blah, blah. So um, anyway, they found her. Um, I know that they have taken some of the evidence, as you saw in Coal Valley, and it has been sent away to be tested. Right. Right. And I know
0: I, it was it was really moving watching Detective Jackie, you know, handle the actual newspaper that oh and she was wrapped in newspaper. Yes. Right. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Yes. Oh my goodness. So it wasn't just he dismembered her and then put her in trash bags. He dismembered her, wrapped her in newspaper like mm-hmm. a like a butcher. Mm-hmm. And then put her into it. Oh, my
1: goodness. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that was, you know, when you're, you know, I believe Jackie said at that point, you're, you know, that could be, this is a lot. This is a young woman was wrapped in this. It's hard to deal with. Right. Um, Right. So, again, that's being tested. Don't know what's going on with that. So, so, Gloria, do you know if the person of interest
0: had any sort of, like, medical training to have done this?
1: He um, is an avid reader, a career student. Do I know if he has taken classes in, you know, the human body anatomy, any of that? No, I don't. But I, I did hear from a pretty reliable source, a person that knew him that had been in his home he did have books on anatomy that um, this person had cut themselves at one time doing work at the theater with him, and the person of interest was able to go through every layer of of tissue and what it was and how it connected and this and that and da 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 da, da. so um i would I would say he probably has knowledge of the human body through reading about it through having Mm -hmm. his anatomy books. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: So the person of interest really is no dummy. He know he knows what he's doing, basically.
1: Correct. Um he has always from talking to people that have that knew him, including his his um, you know, back when he was growing up in Chicago he's always been a bookworm. He's always read. Um, he has a high IQ, um, from what Mm -hmm. I've been told, he belongs to Mensa, but the one downfall that he will probably have or does have is that he underestimates other people's intelligence. Mm He, he shouldn't do that. And because he's such a narcissist along with being intelligent, that I believe will be his downfall.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's pretty common too, with somebody who commits
1: multiple murders. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he's, do I know what his IQ is? No, I just know that he is extremely um, smart. Mm. So, and, wow, but again, even the smartest of, of people, um, you're going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I don't care how smart you are. And when a crime is committed, um, there's usually, you know, at least 150 mistakes. So I've read in a, in, in books that. Wow. self, I, I did not I, know I, that that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. You, you're going to make some kind of, of, a flaw, a wow. mistake that'll be found. And that's just something I read. You know, cause I, I'm trying to educate myself so that I'm better able to understand him. Because like I said, it's hard to wrap my head around some of this. Right. Right. No. And it's, it's very difficult to, I don't want to say
0: connect, but to try to put yourself in that person's shoes to right. see what they're thinking when right. we naturally have no way of figuring out how to think that way. Like that's not something that naturally comes to us.
1: Right, and if I'm ever capable of doing that, then I know it's time that I need to quit researching yeah. and move on.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. So is there anything else you want to touch on
1: with Kristen David's case? Yeah, that her, clo- okay, her bicycle, mm-hmm. Kristen David's bicycle was never found. Her her blue 10-speed, never found. Her clothes were never found. So we... We don't know, you know, mm-hmm. if somebody came across them, would they know back in the day that this was, you know, um, right. a right. clothes or somebody's bicycle, you know, there's, that's probably something that's fairly easy to dispose of, but still somebody could have come across it and not known what it is. Right.
0: Well, and a bicycle isn't exactly
1: easy to dispose of, especially
0: if, I mean, you know, I obviously was not there back then but I don't know if the news you know picked up on the fact she was missing and if they mentioned what type of bicycle she was riding. Yes yes they
1: did. Was, yeah there were news articles that went out and said what she was wearing and that she was on a bicycle and mm-hmm. such as that. I, I want to throw one more thing in. Yeah yeah. Vincent David. This is when the person of interest married his girlfriend 20 days after Kristen david's body was found oh so i find you know that to be kind of interesting so he was engaged and you know going to be married and it wasn't a big ceremony or anything like that um, yeah. i did talk to somebody that attended his wedding and frankly i'm surprised that the woman he married um who is the granddaughter of a three-time Academy Award-winning actor, why she would marry him after the horrible things that he said about her, about her physical appearance, and- Oh. uh Uh-huh. I am so sorry to cut you guys off
0: here, but there's just so much more information and I have to split it into two episodes. So please, please, please like and subscribe to our podcast, Victimology. We are on basically all of the podcast platforms. We are online. Yes, please subscribe so you're able to see when part three comes out. And I promise you, it is shocking. This has been Melissa Lee with part two of the Lewis and Clark Valley serial killer. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, and this has been Victimology. Victimology is a self-produced podcast. Make sure to subscribe to Victimology on your favorite podcast player. Like and follow Victimology Podcast on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at VictimologyPod. Follow us on Instagram at VictimologyPodcast. Stay tuned for part three of the Lewis and Clark Valley Serial Killer.